everybody and welcome to episode 38 of hilly horror stories my name is jerry and i'm joined with tracy hey guys what's going on and uh you will hear tracy a little bit later do some uh wrapping of some m&ms uh kind of like his uh gay cousin skittles oh my god all i'm gonna say right now is this is the most horriblest thing i've ever done <laughs> it's so bad it actually if, if you like american idol you will like this because it sounds like something on American Idol the oh first God. three days when they have all the horrible acts on. Yeah, it's beyond horrible. So I just want to apologize ahead of time and hope you still kind of like me at the end. Well, I'm just hoping we don't get sued by Eminem for the trashing that we did of a song. Oh, I know. It's so bad. It's so disrespectful. Oh, it's just terrible. I can't even go there. And, and look, I want to tell you ahead of time, as bad as you think it's going to sound, uh, this actually took us over an hour to do. <laughs> Yeah, I could not get my beat. I could not get. It was terrible. It was like it was just horrendous. But anyway, (laughs) it's it's the painful painfulness is over for us anyway. Yeah, all I can say is I'm sorry. Yeah, now we'll leave it for the pain for you to hear. And uh, (laughs) it's so bad. God forbid if you're using earphones or something where it's tunneling straight into your ear. Well, let's talk a little bit about the show. This is a unique show because we are going to be focusing on a city tonight instead of focusing on a certain subject. And this is uh, Danielle Williams, who lives in Detroit, Michigan. You heard her intro. She actually sent me several weeks ago a suggestion on Eloise Hospital. It's an abandoned hospital in Detroit. She says she rides by it all the time, and it's creepy. And I thought, you know, well, let's just make a night of it. So we've got... The Demon of Detroit. It's an actual uh, a haunted house story from the 60s we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Eloise Hospital. Of course, we played a little kiss in the beginning with Detroit Rock City. Uh, and on top of that, we've got Tracy rapping some Eminem, who is from Detroit. To top things off tonight, we've got two psychics from Detroit Paranormal Expeditions. Uh, We've got Brandy and Tina, who we spent some time with the other night. They're a couple of fun young ladies, and uh, they're going to tell us a little bit about some of the stuff they've experienced on their um, adventures out there and tell us a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff that psychics deal with, which we haven't got to hear from the ghost hunters we've interviewed before. Exciting. Can't wait to hear what they have to say. 
I want to do some shout outs early tonight. Uh, and thank you guys for all the, the fantastic reviews we keep getting on iTunes. Please, please keep those reviews coming because it really helps us get to new listeners. Uh, it's hard to believe, but just the way iTunes does things, it's focused more on reviews than it is how many people listen or right. how many people download the show. So Yeah, makes, we love them, good or bad. We'll take uh, any review that you have. That's and, not true whatsoever, only good. And we do not love the bad ones. Just be easy on me after you hear the thing. But I will say that I rocked out that very last uh, paragraph on this song. So just be gentle. Well, let's do a couple of shout-outs real quick. Uh, Jim Tapp from Middletown, Ohio. What's up, Jim? Yep. Gotta like this one. Hillbilly Bob Pickering from Alabama. Oh, wow. I love it. And then we got Ginger Jameson from California. Hey, she's, Ginger. She's originally from Jamaica. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So we got Jerome People from Florida. Thanks, Jerome, for listening. I'm sure I'll screw this one up. We hadn't done one of these in a while. He's from India. Raj Narangrekar. Narangrekar. I'm sure that's bad. Well, we love you, Raj. Sorry yeah. if you messed your name up, honey. Crystal Harris in Tennessee. I feel sorry for Crystal. She's actually from the Lexington area, but she has to live in Knoxville now. She's forced to. Why? Well, I don't know. It's just horrible, though. Anybody has to live in Tennessee. Sorry, Philip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Brian Veerling from Seattle, Washington. Brian, your shirt should be uh, on its way. You may even actually have it by the time you listen to the show. Thank you for your shirt Thank order. Thank you. Which you can also get by going to hibbleyhorrorstores.com. And get your own shirt, and that's a way of helping the show. Last one, Shelby Borst from Wisconsin. Thank you, Shelby. She's probably up there in uh, uh, Jackie's area up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I yeah. still don't Jackie understand. Getz. I still don't get what you got against Tennessee. Is it an inside joke I don't know about? Um, I just don't like Tennessee. What? We've talked about moving to Tennessee before. Well, that would have been a mistake on my part. Uh, anyway, we also have Jesse Chiello actually wrote us a story that we're going to talk about here in a little oh, bit. Oh, good. Great. Sorry, so, Tennessee. I love y'all. I don't know what his problem is. I like Tennessee. I like the people in Tennessee. I just don't like their football or their basketball team. Oh, seriously? That's why you would not move there? That's 100% why I wouldn't move there. Well, that's dumb. Yeah. Well, fact anyways let's talk about the story so the first one we're going to talk about is actually a really cool story that and i, and I really want to thank danielle because i wouldn't have known anything about this story had i not started researching the eloise hospital that she wanted me to look at and it turned out to be a pretty cool story but this is on the cole adams house now this is going to take place like i said detroit michigan this is on market street so this is a private residence that's still in use today so as Try to respect people's privacies. If you live in that area and want to go check it out, just try to you know mm-hmm. keep in mind it is somebody's home. But this started back in the 1960s, early 1960s. So Bill and Lillian Adams moves into this house. Now, first of all, that struck me as odd because Lillian Adams, isn't Lillian a monster? She's not part of the Adams family, right? Wasn't it Lillian? No. It was Lillian, Lillian Monster. Was she the nice one, the blonde? No, that was... Oh, uh, Lillian was the wife. The wife. Oh. But she was a monster, right? Not an Adams. But in this story, she's an Adams. Oh, well. Yeah. You're cray-cray. Whatever. Anyway, they, got, they had five small children and a dog. And they move in. And almost as soon as they move into this house, they sense kind of something was wrong. Um, not in the whole house. Mainly, there was a back bedroom. Mm-hmm. This little uh, bedroom back there... It was really small room. It was just big enough to have a bed and a, like a little closet. Mm-hmm. That was it. Wow, it is small. Yeah. So, but all the children kind of avoided it, and the dog refused to go into the bedroom. Wow. Like I said, it was a pretty small room, and there really wouldn't, 
anything you could do other than just go in and sleep, which worked out good because Billy Adams worked third shift at the Cadillac assembly plant, and he figured, hey, when I come in, it's far enough away from the rest of the house where I can go back there, I can sleep Mm -hmm. in the mornings when the rest of the house is up and getting breakfast and getting school and all that. They wouldn't interfere with his sleeping. So that's what he decided he was going to do. Well, that sounds like a place we lived at uh, in St. Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. But the problem is he started to get these strange kind of unusual feelings. And almost immediately, as soon as he started sleeping in that bedroom, he started having these nightmares. Uh, One dream, which was it's kind of scary when you think about it. But one of his dreams, he opened the closet door. A woman mutilated soaked in blood just fell out of the closet oh, lord it got so bad that he lost so much sleep that he moved back into the master bedroom and then once he moved into the master bedroom the dreams just stopped wow no kidding yep so in 1962 his mother came to visit they let her sleep in the back bedroom oh, you know nice. which is what you want to do with your mother-in-law hey i oh. uh, got a perfect room for you <laughs> so mean well, bet that bitch don't come back <laughs> so she goes in there And she comes down to breakfast the very next morning, and she's, like, so pale that everybody notices. Oh, my gosh. And she's like, "Uh, I didn't get any sleep. I heard horrible noises all night long. It was almost like somebody was trying to break in. And she said, not only was she not going to sleep in that bedroom anymore, she cut her visit short and just left. Oh, my gosh. I would, too. So did the wife and the kids not know about that bedroom, like he was having those nightmares? I mean, they all knew. That, they all knew it? that something weird was going on because nobody wanted to go into the bedroom. But he never said to the other people what he saw or whatever. I'm sure he said it to his wife. Mm-hmm. But. Now, soon after, they had a friend whose name was Dick. Now he's been a long time friend of the family. He spent the night, and they put him in the bedroom, in the back bedroom. You are so mean. He's these aren't the most courteous of people. Not at all. So they put, slept on the porch. They put him in the back bedroom. They didn't mention anything about any experiences they'd had, even though they'd all had problems with this bedroom. Nobody mentioned anything about it. And uh, he was awoken in the middle of the night. Is it awoken or awaken? I think awaken. Are you sure? He was awoken. Oh, he was awaken. It sounds... He was awoken. All right. He woke up <laughs> around midnight by something uh, kind of turning him over and... When he did look, he saw a woman standing in a doorway. Now, she had her back to him, so he couldn't see what her face looked like. Mm-hmm. She had long hair and was wearing a um, kind of a short fur co- coat and a blue dress. Okay. So, she was a well-dressed ghost, whatever she was. Well, maybe she got ate by the wolves for eating or for her wearing the fur coat. Maybe they clawed her face no off. No sense whatsoever. I know it. I was just okay. grasping. Sorry. <laughs> nice for you to contribute, though. Thanks. <laughs> so... He got up and he started walking towards, you know, the spirit that he saw. And then all the lights just went out in the whole house. Oh, my gosh. Which I, don't, I don't know why all the lights were on at midnight to begin with. But well, oh, so, man, that would have been 10,000 times scarier. Yeah, so all the lights go out and he just kept walking. He was kind of stumbling into some stuff. And then he gets to the kitchen and there was Miss Adams and they're washing her hair in the kitchen sink. I don't know why she's what. Why, why would you wash your hair at midnight? Well, I don't know. So anyway, they, they started hearing hearing this terrible wailing sound. I don't know if it's like the whales. Or... <laughs> Your face. <laughs> <laughs> but they start hearing these wailing sounds. <laughs> and 
they said it, it sounded, didn't sound like anything from this earth. It's so much to the point it just left them speechless. So they didn't, they were just like looking at each other like we are right now. Like, what the hell? Yeah. So they were scared to literally, the, they were scared to speechless from fright. I mean, I would be too. Then they started getting this sickening smell Ugh. filling the room, probably like much of your cooking. But it was filling the I was room. I going to say your feet. <laughs> There was a big heavy trap door in the kitchen that, that led down to the basement. And that started opening and closing, like slamming, opening up and slamming, and opening up and slamming. So they called the police. Because, you know, that's what you do when you got a ghost in the house and you got mysterious things, you call the police. Because, well, you know. That's better than nothing. Um, you would think. But I would think the police just look like an idiot. So. Yeah. So police come in. They look the whole house over and they didn't find anything. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. The next morning, Mr. Adams comes in because he worked third shift at the Cadillac place. So he comes in, and they tell him what went on, and, of course, he doesn't believe them. I don't know why he doesn't believe them because he's already had his own experiences. yeah. So that night he decided, because he's, you know, Mr. Smarty Pants, that he's going to go sleep in the back bedroom again. Mm -hmm. Well, just as he started to drift off, he heard someone moaning in the room. Mm -hmm. Now, first, my first thought would be like, damn, i got my friend whose name is Dick. And my wife's in the other room, and I hear moaning. <laughs> but that's probably not what it was. I'm sure it was. I can almost guarantee that's not what it was. <laughs> but he did think it was his wife, just you know, in yeah. the room moving, moving around and stuff. Mm-hmm. He called her name, and she didn't answer. He rode over, and there was the most hideous face. I'm picturing Rosie O'Donnell. Well, it was not very nice for him to call her hideous. But he said it was the most hideous face he had ever seen. It was just inches from his face. Mm-hmm. He said she just stared like she was staring past him. Her eyes were just like invisible. They were there, but it's just like you mm-hmm. could see through them. Her mouth was moving, but the only thing that was coming out of it was kind of like a hissing sound and a gurgle and a horrible stench. Oh, God. That's terrible. No, she obviously doesn't uh, floss. floss her teeth. <laughs> floss, people. So... Mr. Adams, he runs into the kitchen in a panic. His eyes were all wide. He's kind of screaming. He's pulling his hair out. Literally, he's pulling his hair out. His wife and, and his friend Dick, I just like saying Dick, his wife and his friend Dick, apparently, they threw a blanket over top of him to try to wrangle him in. And then all of a sudden, the that door that's in the, the uh, kitchen, mm-hmm. the cellar door, it started opening and closing again and this horrible stench started coming from down there they said that it, it smelled like uh rotting rotting and stinking of decomposing flesh oh gosh bless her febreze ain't gonna fix that no that ain't gonna happen no no <laughs> it would make one of those good <laughs> febreze commercials though could you imagine <laughs> <laughs> the one it's like they're all just sitting in a normal living room the next mm-hmm. time it shows coffins open and bodies hanging out this is what your friends smell oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you smell and this is what your friends smell <laughs> it took an hour for him to calm down enough to, to explain what he actually experienced oh my gosh that's awful they get, they just said hey, we're getting the hell out of here they grabbed yeah. all their shit they grabbed their kids and they left they went and moved in with um, uh, her mom mm-hmm and that's where they stayed. And the house, like I said, is currently lived in, but the owner won't tell if there's been any kind of uh, occurrences since they've lived there. I mean, apparently there must not be. Or why would they still stay in there if there was? Some people just deal with crazy shit. Yeah, but that's like, what do you want to deal with smelly stuff? I don't know. Oh, good. Man, that's but, so creepy. 
Ain't that messed up? That is messed up. I don't, so, I don't like that. I think, you know, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about the story other than what's there. I try to do a bunch of research. There's really not much more on it than really? that. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. That's kind of, that's kind of, um, so, I mean, I guess the police never said anything about it. They just didn't, they find, just anything didn't find anything and anything, just went so on their way. That was the end of it. Dang. I thought now would be a good time to kind of break up the show a little bit to do the, uh, uh, the reader story. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into that real quick. All right. Okay, and I'm sure I'll butcher this name too, but you know, hey, you're just one of a lot of many. So it's, I believe it's Jesse Chiello. It could be Chiello, but I think the CH is a, an SH sound. So Jesse Chiello. And if I'm wrong, you can email me and tell me, and then I'll correct it on the next episode. Yeah, but so. I, I like it either way. It sounds nice. It is kind of cool. It's got kind of a foreign sounding name. Mm hmm. I had a cousin used to play the Shiello. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so I want to start off because she, she actually tells us a story, but she also started off with a very interesting fact that I kind of led into on last week's show. It says, hey there, Jerry and Tracy. First off, I want to say that I really enjoy your show and I think you guys are great and each show is even better than the last. I have to agree completely with her on that. Until she gears the end of yeah. the show today. she said i wanted to say that i really enjoy the personal stories and the music episodes to be honest i didn't think i was going to like the music ones but after the first one i was really hooked so please keep them up now the reason i'm bringing that up is because the people who listen to the music episodes absolutely love them i mean that's their favorite episodes i get more compliments on the music episodes than any of the episodes we do but at the same time overall we get the least amount of listens for the music episodes. And I think what happens is I think some people say, oh, it's a music episode. I I won't care about it. And they don't listen. But the reality of it is, I think if you guys actually went back and listened to them, that's way more interesting than what you're probably thinking it's going to be. Sort of like the Elvis and the Occult, which is why I threw that in on a regular show that wasn't just a music show. I'm still pissed about that. Yeah. Well, we're not going to dwell on Elvis. He's a goat herder. (laughs) <laughs> he's got great lips yeah that's how great those lips will do him in hell is he's sacrificing goats <gasps> oh. but when it comes to the music episodes just like uh jesse here she didn't think she'd like it she listened to it and she actually is hooked on it now so i would just say if you're listening to the show and you've not listened to the music episodes go back and listen to them at least give them a shot i think you'll really be surprised and then um another one was she liked the personal stories and i know episode 16 was just my personal stories we've had more people talk about that show and some of the early episodes where we talked about personal situations with me and ricky about how that actually helped them in their real life uh, so, you know, go back and listen to those. There might be something in the, that you can use for your own personal life. Yeah. But anyway, so let's go on to her story. Uh, she says, when I was a kid, I want to say I was around eight years old, I saw a ghost. I was sitting in the living room watching TV with my sister, watching a kid's show. You know, nothing scary, anything like that. I had to use the bathroom, so I got up and walked to the bathroom. How my childhood house was laid out. Uh, is you walk into the front door, into a porch, and then into the living room, and then it splits off to the kitchen. There's a tiny hallway that leads to my parents' room, bathroom, and my childhood room. There's a fun note that the childhood room then has a door that leads to the attic where I eventually moved when I became a teenager. But if you're in the dining room going towards the hallway, you can look right into the bathroom, so you have to cross the hallway to get in. 
Now, to the left side is my parents' room, and to the right was my room. So let's set this up. Basically, what's going to come into play in this story is you have a hallway with her room on one side and the parents' room straight across from it, okay? So like like I was saying, I got up to use the bathroom, and as I walked to the bathroom, and before I could enter the hallway, a ghost came from right out of my parents' room, crossed my path, and into my room. It was an elderly woman, dark blue and hunched over. I was taken aback and I froze. Never in my life did I experience anything paranormal, so I had no reason to be looking for anything or even have my guard up. I was so spooked and I ran into the the bathroom because I really had to pee. Let that be a lesson for you. Your urinary tract does not heed to ghost. <laughs> If you got to go, you got to go. And we won't even talk about the diarrhea tract. I don't even know. I don't think that's a technical term. I don't think it is either. But But you do. You got to go. You got to go. Now, afterwards, I went into the kitchen to where my mom was making dinner and my dog was hanging out. And I told her what happened. She told me for the first time that my great-grandmother died in my parents' room and her name was Jessie, my namesake. So in the end, I saw hopefully... Jesse Lee from one room that she died in into my room that I slept in. And for the rest of my time, I slept in that room. I always kept an ear open for sounds that could have, could happen or even now as an adult in my own house. I will always listen for sounds and keep my eyes open. It's a fun story. Oh, that's nice, though, that it was her grandma. But just like the infomercials, but wait, there's more. Oh, that was a horrible attempt. At, I wish the guys from Don't Break the Oath were on here so they could have oh, done that. Oh, I know. That. They, they have awesome voices. This is cool. She said, I grew up on Long Island, and so did my parents, but my mom actually grew up in Amityville and was around when the murders took place for the uh, DeFeo family. Oh, jeez. She told me that she was home alone when it happened, and my grandmother actually came home to tell her what happened. It really freaked her out. And today, Jesse actually lives in a... Uh, a house in Buffalo that's 100 years old. And she said, my boyfriend says he hears voices a lot in the house when I'm not home, but I haven't heard anything yet, probably because I'm listening to your podcast a little too loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's cool. That's a very cool story. It was. It was a very cool story. I was wondering if she had any action, you know, in her house, being so old. (laughs) We don't get any action in this house. Oh, my God. uh... (sighs) That anal probe is still coming. I hope you know. And you least expect it. Well. Thank you for sharing that story with us. That was really cool. Yep, very cool. And uh, we we greatly appreciate it. This will be the time where we say if you want to visit and buy t-shirts, you can do that. HeavilyHorrorStories.com. If you want to contribute to the show, uh, you can make a one-time donation on our same website. And we've had a bunch of people do that over the last couple weeks. And we want to say thank you for all Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much. It really, like I say time and time again, it means so much to us. And we just appreciate you guys that listen and everything. We just look forward to doing the next show and getting some feedback on it. So Yeah, people people don't realize. It's nice to see something, a little return on, on the efforts. We're not doing this to get rich by any no, way, shape, or form. but. You know, I work 70 hours a week on my regular job. Tracy puts in 40-some hours a week on her job. And we probably put about 20 hours into a 45-minute to an hour podcast. Mm So, you know, and then I know some people spend a lot more time editing than we do. If we edited like we should edit to get a really professional show, I'd hate to think of how much time it would actually spend. I screw up so much and say things I shouldn't and... Probably, but, but. <laughs> I think that's that's what people like. They like to hear that we're real people and we're yeah. just two people doing a podcast. So, yeah, 
So without further ado, let's do the story that Danielle actually turned us on to, which is the Eloy Mental Hospital. Now, I personally had never heard of this. Uh, the more I researched it, the more I realized that it's really similar to Waverly uh, no in, in Louisville, which we're very familiar with. But there's a lot of these institutions and prisons and things like that to where one prison, the stories are kind of the same as the yeah. other prison, the same thing with the hospitals. So as I like to do, let's tell you some background on the Eloy mental hospital and let me touch on this real quick because i put out something before when we did the aradell mental hospital in australia and some people were offended that actually i put mental hospital on the flyer that we pass around on social media but guys you got to realize something you know back in the day when they think these things came out that's what they were called and we're only calling these things what they're named i mean some of these places were called a lunatic asylum it's not politically correct to call somebody a lunatic no, these days terrible. or but you know when we put something down here that's because that's what it was called i mean we're not trying to just take it upon ourselves to say oh we're, we're just being ignorant that's what it's that's what it is it was eloy mental hospital that's what it was called when it came out and you know that's what we're going to call it just like Airedale. Um, it is what it is so don't get your panties all in a bunch is all i'm saying i'm done preaching now okay okay so let's talk about eloy eloy started as wayne county poorhouse in 1839 you know, it's funny because we don't think about those things, but you always hear people talk, oh, they're going to put us in a poorhouse. They're going to put us in a poorhouse. There really were poorhouses back in the day to where there were no um, welfare or uh, government assistance. It was if you're poor, you went to a house that was basically like an orphanage for adults, and that's where you lived. Oh, so that's, you lived there and they fed you and things like yeah. that, basically. Yeah. You didn't get your own Section Eight or yeah. whatever well, it's called nice, across though. the world. It was, you know, this this is what you, it wasn't nice. These places were horrible. Oh, well. these these places were horrible. But so they started off as a poorhouse in 1839. The complex had its own police, fire department, bakery, railroad, slaughterhouse. It was its own little city, and it was one of the first hospitals to use X-rays for diagnosis. Pretty cool. It was also home to the first kidney dialysis unit. Wow. Well, it was the first one in Michigan, and it was like the third or fourth in the United States. So it wouldn't. Um, they also had, they were a pioneer of music therapy. They're trying to use music to uh, to calm people down and to try to, um, you know, help them get on with certain problems or problems. Right. So the complex eventually expanded to cover over 902 acres and had 70 buildings at one point. Wow, that's a lot. Yep. The, the faculty... Uh, or the I said the faculty, the facility, it's like Jim. Facility. <laughs> With the facility had uh, radium treatment for cancer. Uh, they were one of the first ones to have uh, cancer patients go through that kind of therapy. And the sanitarium was one of the first to have an open-air TB setup, which, once again, Waverly, that's yeah. what they were known for, was having an open-air TB setup, which, um, for the, for you that are unfamiliar, TB, obviously, is tuberculosis. That was uh, huge back in the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s. They basically didn't have a cure, and they felt like that if you could be out in the wide open air, that that actually would help your lungs, and, and that was the only treatment they really knew. A lot of people would go out west, like Colorado, mm-hmm. which is how the whole Stanley Hotel thing got started was mr stanley had tuberculosis he went out for the colorado air so that's what they were doing here and that's what they did in waverly at the height in the 1920s of this thing 
they had as many as 10,000 patients and 2,000 people on staff all living there. Wow. The problem was, and this is kind of a big problem, they only had the, the setup for 8,300 people. So if there's 10,000 people and there's 8,300 people, that means people were sleeping on the floors. I was going to say, yeah, what were they What well, were they doing? Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's definitely an issue. Um, psychiatric patients, uh, they went under uh, underwent electric shock therapy and insulin shock therapy. And they were the, the first in the Midwest and the third hospital in, in the country to do those kind of treatments on yeah. people that had psychiatric problems. They also did lobotomies on a regular basis, which if you're unfamiliar with lobotomies, it's where they basically stick. There's a couple of ways they can do it. They can take like – some people would take ice picks mm-hmm. and they would stick it through your eye socket. Not through the, the eyeball, but kind of like where the corner of your eye is by your nose. They would stick it down there and just kind of go up and just kind of mush around a little bit. And they would screw up that part of your brain because that would make you extremely docile. Or they would actually drill a hole up in your forehead and, and by your temples and go in that way. Oh, well, that's just tons it. of fun. Or they could go up through your nose. But there oh, was tons gosh. of different ways that they would do these. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of these things, they were um, unsuccessful. Oh, man. And it would actually end up killing or, or doing a lot more worse damage to the oh, patient than what they intended to I'm do. I'm sorry. That's terrible. So the farm operations, because they had their own farm and everything, they ceased in 1958. The psychiatric division uh, closed in 1977 when the state took over. And then the main hospital closed its doors in 1984. Today, um, it's made up basically of eight buildings on the campus. Out of the 70, there's only eight left. Well, they just demolished them all? Yeah, over a period of time. And there's only two of them that are actually even being used. Um, one, of them, one of them's got uh, the Wayne County Senior uh, care mm-hmm. the head start um, classes are in there and then um, they're using one building as a homeless shelter wow so but there's only a couple dozen employees even mm-hmm. even working in the place now yeah. now Eloise like I said in its height it's, it had 10,000 patients 2,000 employees and room for 8,300 well the overcrowding of the patients uh, was it's horrible because you had people sleeping on the floor. Mm-hmm. Many of them were left unattended, and many of them were just ignored. Aww. You know, you you got several different inmates that spent their entire life at this place, their adult life. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll get into some of those a little bit later. The the really severe inmates they were chained upstairs of the barn so they had pigs and stuff underneath them they were in the top floor and you could actually hear their screams and echoes all over the entire ground um like i said they had pigs and stuff underneath them it was really a cruel way to yeah to deal with people that breaks my heart now we talked about the open air thing uh for people that were afflicted with tb unfortunately <laughs> the way that they handled this, it sounded good on the surface, but the way that they handled this, they had hastily erected tents set up on the property really far away from the hospital because they, they didn't want these TB patients anywhere around the rest of the patients. Mm-hmm. So they basically lived in tents that they just kind of threw up out there to, uh, in the middle of the grounds. So they were kind of out in the weather and everything else, no matter what the temperatures were. No matter if it was, you know, rain and cold, that's where they were. Mm-hmm. And it took seven years for them to actually build a facility for the TB patients. Why did it take so long? I have no idea. 
Some of the inmates, like I said, spent their entire adult life there. Um, a few of them were sick, some of them because they were poor, and some just because you know the initial treatment went terribly wrong, like mm-hmm. we talked about with the lobotomies and stuff. Yeah. Bridget Hughes, she was the first listed insane patient. She spent 53 years there. Oh, my gosh. Um, Sarah Dorn, she spent almost 19 years. Um, Ann Cullen spent 32 years there. That's just a few of them. And Ann was one of the lucky ones because they also had an on-site cemetery. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find out as we get a little deeper into it that the cemetery, um, it was a horrible place to be. Not only because you're dead. That right. goes without saying. But you didn't get grave markers there. They, uh, Like I said, Ann had one. But everybody else just basically had a, a block that had a number in it. Mm. And, you know, there's really no records or anything, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, visitors... The haunted part is what everybody cares about on this. And, and what we're having is visitors have reported odd occurrences for years, even after the hospital was closed. There's reports of people finding medical waste and other strange items. And this is an interesting one because some people have reported that there's some tunnels and stuff underneath that they use to, to you know walk around in and transport patients and stuff mm-hmm. like that from building to building. But there's some people that say that when they went in there, even after this was closed down, they found jars that had body parts in them. Oh, my Lord. And they're saying not only that, but they also found, um, like, books that had medical procedures and stuff in there that were, like, really strange medical procedures. Just kind of outlining uh, how they treat, you know, what they did to these patients to try to find things out. Yeah, that's messed up. Now, a bunch of other people that claim to hear moaning and screams and mm-hmm. and roars throughout the whole ground which similar to the people that were chained up in the in the barn area some believe it's definitely the souls of the tormented patients because i mean you're going to find out that there's over seven thousand people in that cemetery i mean did they feed them when they were yeah i mean i mean they were fed and everything but they were treated like animals more or less i mean you Mm -hmm. tell that just by being kept in a barn i wish i could hug every one of them this they, is terrible. There have been a bunch of paranormal investigators um, have done investigations there. Uh, a group recently claimed that they saw a spirit of a woman wearing a white um, gown, kind of like a white gown, white, white dress. Mm-hmm. But she's usually seen in the upper floors or on the roof of the of the main building where they where they still have the people working. Now let's talk about the old Eloy graveyard because it's supposed to be really haunted, as you can imagine. So, but I wonder if anybody that works there now have experienced anything. I mean, have they, do they, I mean, has anybody said anything about that? Well, it's funny that you do say that because right on cue, there's a, well, so we'll hold off on the hospital so I can tell you this part. There's a building employee that said she had an experience. A couple of kids ran up the staircase. They kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. And they turned around and came right back and said there was a, there was a guy up there uh, sitting on the steps. He was in Bermuda shorts. He was just sitting there. Well, the kids were the only ones that saw anything because nobody else mm-hmm. saw anything, and and there was no nobody there that looked like fit the description or yeah or anything like that. So, but they said you know nobody saw that guy, but they've seen shadows and stuff like that. Oh man, that'd be a scary place to work. I don't think I'd want to <laughs> for sure. Well, it's it's actually up for sale. Like, well, it's probably not up for sale now, but in 2015 they actually put it up for sale. They did. Yeah, some of the some of the property is um, 
like a golf course, and I think there's some retail and stuff like that on it. But there's a big part of it that's actually a golf course now. So would they move the elderly people then somewhere else, or they would still stay there if somebody bought it? No, there's nobody there now. Oh, it's strictly it's strictly just it's a senior center, right? But I don't I, th- I don't think they're living there. I think it's like. I don't think it's a nursing home. I think oh. it's like where they just come spend just the day come and, and hang stuff out like that. With yeah. people? Okay, gotcha. Now, the cemetery, let's go back to that. The last burial there was in 1948. 7,000 patients are buried there. But it wasn't until August 2015 that this place was even discovered. What? Well, it's kind of like across the street. And the graves were all grown over. There was so much like, it's almost like hay and stuff like that. The The, the grass was so tall. And then when people went over there, I guess, whenever they get ready for this cell, people went over there and they started realizing that there was a whole cemetery over there. Oh it's just been forgotten over time. Mm. And the problem is most of the people buried there were either poor or they had no relatives or they had nobody that would take care of their funeral arrangements. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, some of these, you got to realize some of these people were just dropped off and by family members and, and committed them. Because back then it only took one or two signatures to get somebody committed. My gosh. And once they were committed, I mean, they never came back and got them. Don't do you that know, to me. From I, I'm not going to do that to you. Okay. So from 1910 to 1948, it became a graveyard by necessity. I mean, it's just they had to do something with the bodies. And mm-hmm. they, were, they, just, they were coming more and more of them. Yeah. And no, nothing to do with them. So they had to just use part of the, the land as a cemetery. Wow. And I mean, and the problem is, like I said, if you go over and look at some pictures, it's nothing but just little blocks about the size of a brick. Yeah. A little bit bigger. And it's just got like 217 on it. And uh. that's, and the problem is that all the records and everything from this place have been lost over the well, years. Yeah, sure. So nobody even knows who any of those people yeah. are. There are 7,000 people there and very few of them have gravestones. Very sad. Very, very sad. So with that being said... Uh, that is a horrible situation. I'm glad that we do not live in a society to where that's the way people with disabilities and, and uh, um, mental handicaps yeah. or any of that are, are actually treated. It's it's sad to think that that's the world that we lived in at one point in time to where that was acceptable. I mean, I, I, I mean, how much more would it have took for somebody to just put their name on it i mean come on now yeah i don't understand the point of just not putting a name yeah. on, on a, a grave marker um it makes no sense and it's kind of really yeah and some of these people just their, their life meant nothing apparently to anybody and it's yeah. sad that there's nothing to remember them by mm. but i guess on the right side of it is there's nobody that's going to be coming to visit them anyway so what's it matter but, but it does matter because they're humans true and i'm really sorry that that happened to them it's just a shame. So now what we want to do is we, we got to talk to these <laughs> very funny young ladies. And uh, they're actually both psychics. Uh, they both do things a little bit different. So, But they're going to talk to you a little bit about being psychics, how it's affected their life, um, how long they've been psychics, or, or at least knew they had uh, a gift. And uh, like I said, these these uh, young ladies are with uh, Detroit Paranormal Expeditions, and 
Todd, who actually started the group, um, put me in touch with these young ladies, and I'm, I'm glad he did because I've never had the opportunity to actually talk to anybody who was an actual psychic. Yeah, me either. Uh, not from a, not from that level to where they were telling us about you know how they got into it and mm-hmm. how to, how it's affected their life and that type of thing. So um, please take a second here to welcome Tina and Brandy from Detroit Paranormal Expeditions. All right, welcome back to Hillbilly Horror Stories. We've got some special guests uh, on the line with us. This is something that's actually been in the works for uh, almost two months now since I met uh, Todd with Detroit Paranormal Expeditions. And I told him we were going to be doing some stories on Michigan. And uh, it would be cool if he could get us hooked up with some people uh, from the from group. And he hooked us up tonight, which I think is is really cool. We've got Brandy and we've got Tina and the cool thing about them is they are both psychics with uh, Detroit Paranormal. Awesome. And you ladies are the first psychics that we've actually ever had on our show. So welcome aboard. Welcome. Well, thank awesome. You. Thank you. So what I wanted to do was give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourselves, uh, what you do with the group, and tell a little bit about the, the group itself. Because my understanding is, Brandy, you're one of the founders of the group. Am I correct in that? Yes. Okay, so why don't we start with you, Brandy? Um, well, I'm the psychic medium, of course. Um, I mainly go in. I don't know anything about the building before we go to a, a location. They keep the history of the place, so, you know, pretty much guarded away from me until afterwards. Um, I go in, and uh, well, actually, they go in before me, and they'll do their walkthrough and get to know the building a little bit better. Why I stay behind, and then. Once we're ready, then we go and investigate it, and I'll tell them what I'm getting and what I'm picking up on, and then at the end of it, we join in together and put everything together to see what we got and see if everything matched up. Oh, wow. So how long have you been doing the actual research, and is when you got into the research, were you already a psychic, or is this something that you realized after you got into it? No, I have had my abilities since I was the age of four. Um, I actually just got with the teams and stuff and doing the paranormal work for probably about five, six years. Now, how did that come about? How did you get involved with the paranormal work? Did somebody approach you? Did you start just decide that, hey, this is something we need to start a team up? Um, well, me and Todd has been talking for a while before we started the team up about um, making his own team. And uh, it was actually me, him, and Jeff. And we were deciding on it and we gave it a go. And then we end up finding, we had actually end up adding Lauren and Matt and Margie to the group. And then after that, we just started adding more. And then we just added Tina. Got to have Tina on the team. And uh, that's basically how it started. Tina, how long have you been part of the group? Uh, I actually officially, um, maybe about a month. Oh, so um, you're, you're like a real newbie. I'm a newbie. I actually have been doing investigating for about five years. Uh, I'm from Windsor, Ontario in Canada, and I worked with several teams over there, and um, I just kind of hooked up with Todd on social media, and he invited me to a few investigations, and, you know, I worked well with the team, so they invited me to join the team about a month ago. Really cool. So tell me a little bit about your um, uh, psychic background. When did you first notice that you had a gift? Um, I think same with Brandy. I always did. Um, I remember like when I was a kid seeing apparitions and and hearing things and stuff like that. I really 
um, shut it down when I was 16 and didn't reopen anything till about five years ago. When I started, I thought investigating was kind of a cool hobby type of thing. And then as I started investigating, I was able to read different things in buildings and just kind of developed it from there. Now, do you do you take the same approach that Brandy does when you go into a building? Do you not want to know anything about it and, and what's your uh, um, whole procedure on that? Um, it depends on who. Like, I've always worked with other psychics in the groups that I've worked with. So it depends on um, whether they want me to go in as just an investigator or whether they want me to go in and do a read. So if they want me to go in and be the psychic consult, then I don't do a walkthrough and I don't do any history. But if they want me as a just an investigator, then I'll go do the walkthrough and take notes. And then I go with the psychic and kind of confirm what they're reading. So... Are you two the only psychics on the team, or are there others? Yes, yes, we're the only two. Are there ever times to where you were both used for a psychic consult? Uh, yeah, the last one we did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool. Actually, the last um, we did the um, Old Licking Jail in Ohio, and um, it was great because Brandy and I kind of both stayed together for the night and. Um, she would pick up on certain things and uh, where I couldn't read, she was reading. And then the same thing, if we went into another area, I would pick up on someone else and she would kind of take a background to it. So we, we work really, really well together. That's pretty cool. So is this, did y'all feel like that y'all formed a bond like almost immediately the first time y'all did something together? For yeah. sure. I yeah. <laughs> we got close real quick. Good. And uh, so Let's talk about, I know you've done some stuff together, but with only being there a month, there's not a whole lot you've done together. Brandy obviously goes back a little bit further. Brandy, tell me about your most interesting experience on an investigation that you guys have, have done as a group. What, you know, has there been any, any situations that jump out that stand out above the others? Anything to where you felt like you were threatened or scared in any of these things? Tell me a little bit about some of the ones that, that you really liked. Um... I personally, I mean, I've been on investigations alone, not with the team, but I've had one experience that really freaked me out. Um, as far as on the team, I've never had anything really scare me besides when Todd locked himself in one of the cell rooms and jumped out at me. <laughs> that about scared the crap out of me. <laughs> That's about it. But What about the um, situation when you were alone? Tell me about that one. What part of me? Uh, tell me about the situation when you were alone where you had a, a scare. Um, mine would have to be at Ohio State Reformatory. I've heard so much uh -huh. about that place. Yeah. Um, I actually go back there quite a bit. I've been there six times. It's my favorite place. But um, we were up in the East Wing. I think it was the fourth floor. And I was staring down the hallway of the cell blocks. And all of a sudden... I mean, it's pitch black, but all of a sudden I could just feel this energy come at me. And all I can do is like, I turned around and I just jetted and I ran. And one of my girlfriends that was around the corner, I literally grabbed her arms and picked her up and her even swung her behind me because it, <laughs> it felt like it was right behind me. Well, she had snapped a picture and caught almost like a transparent hand. Yeah. And the, yeah, it was insane. I, I'm going to see if I can pull it up and I'll show you guys. But also we played back the EVP on it 
And the same time, like right before you hear me scream, you can hear, he's coming, in a woman's voice. Holy crap. And then I hurry up and I turned around and I screamed and I, I just took off. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was probably my most, like, worst experience ever. You all are so brave. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even. Ooh. Yeah, Tracy won't walk outside if the porch light's not on, no. so. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was a, I, I can't even explain the feeling. I mean, just to have something come at you like that. I mean, even though we're psychic mediums, we don't always see what's coming at us or, you know, what's there. We just know something's there. So just for me to feel like something was coming at me like that and it wasn't a good feeling, (laughs) I just took off. You know, it's amazing to me how many prisons, uh, because, you know, you got Eastern State, you got Ohio, uh, you know, the Ohio Reformatory. I just had Mm -hmm. a a gentleman here that works at the Kentucky State Reformatory sent me a book that he wrote. He's uh, he's been there for like 20-some years, and he actually wrote and published a book about the ghost down there at the Kentucky State Reformatory. Wow. So I mean, it's it's. I guess there's just it goes without saying. There's so much, uh, you know, bad people there, and so much dread, and so much just you know despair. I'm that sorry. I guess it just goes without saying that, that that would be a natural place to find these things. Oh yeah, for sure. So what about uh, Tina? What about your situations? Have you ever had a situation that you've encountered where maybe it's not on an investigation? Maybe it's just something to do with your psychic ability. Have you ever had anything just really freak you out? Something you saw that you didn't want to see? Or tell me about any experiences you might have had. Um, yeah, I think my worst experience was probably um, it's a place called Mackenzie Hall in Windsor, and it used to be the old um, courthouse for Windsor, Ontario. So they would have where they would um, bring the inmates from the jail next door and house them in the courthouse before they went on trial. Um, they actually had the gallows out in the parking lot there, so there was hangings there as well. Um, my, Well, I shouldn't say worse, but the scariest thing I ever went through was, I think... Um, we, we investigated there several times. The first time we went in, we've got EVPs. Um, the K2s were going crazy whenever you put them near me. And as they're going through the recordings, one of my uh, co-workers said, um, do you like Tina? Because every time the K2s were near me, they were going red. And we actually got an EVP where, you know, we had someone whisper, yeah. But it was a really drawn out, like, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah freaks me out. Every time I hear it, it freaks me out. Um, I think the third time we went in there, I didn't protect myself properly, and I was kind of taking care of my team spiritually, and I left myself open, and I had um, this thing in the basement. Um, I've looked at him like the uh, – from what I was getting, he was the old um, guard for the cells downstairs. Um was not a nice person at the jail as well as in his personal life. And I got a lot of abuse and uh, abuse towards women, rape, stuff like that. A lot of images in my head. Um, I ended up getting an attachment there and I had to have Reiki masters work on me for three days to clear it. Cause I was just, it was almost like in a comatose state. Like I didn't know what was going on. I was in and out of consciousness and I wasn't myself. And it was, it was very scary, very scary. So you brought up an interesting subject that I think 
the listeners would be interested in. You said you didn't protect yourself properly. Tell me a little bit about, you know, and I'll listen to both of you on, on your comments on this, but tell me a little bit about some things that the average person probably wouldn't even think about that you, you guys need to do to protect yourself. And we'll start with, uh, we'll go ahead and start with Tina since you had just brought it up. Okay. Um, well, with being a psychic, you pick up so much more when you're at these locations, right? Because everything is energy. So, um, I mean, in order to protect yourself from the negative energies that are around you or just energy in general, because you can bring very nice people home with you as well. <laughs> um, but um, I did a lot of teaching with the group. We got together, um, all the girls, and we did um, how to properly ground and protect with um, – we did a lot of Reiki techniques. So I was teaching them how to just basically build yourself in a bubble to protect yourself from whatever's coming near you. It's it's more a state of mind. Um, other things um, I do, and I know some of the members of the group do as well, we have protective stones that we bring with us. Um, I sage before an investigation. I sage after an investigation. I always carry uh, my medallions. Yeah, we do prayer before we go in. It's kind. Of, it's almost. I don't want to say a ritual, but it's it's a. It's just kind of a way of life. You've got to make sure that spiritually you're connected with your higher source before you go into these things, so that you don't take anything home with you. I almost think it would be really fun, almost to kind of be there with you. But then, and again, I'm like, well, what, you know, what I'm saying, I'd be afraid I take them, take them home with me. You know, all the nice people can, you know, come to this party, but. I would, that is so interesting. I just, I feel like I've, I don't know. Do you feel like it's a gift? Or I I believe it's a, a curse and a gift. Yeah. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse all in one. I mean, a lot of it's not a walk in the park, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, just the way it, it drains us. And, I mean, if you do get negative stuff, that stuff embeds in your head. You don't forget about it. I mean, but a lot of it is a blessing, too. You connect people with their loved ones. You help them heal. Uh, resolve cases. I mean, it's just all different kinds of things. Yeah, but I know I don't know if this is a dumb question. Do you have to like say like we're talking now? Could you like channel something for me? Just say, or does it sound more? I mean, does it better in person? I guess I don't know if that makes sense or not. But um, um, I'd have to say for me, as far as I read more of past loved ones or you know, like past loved ones uh-huh. or you know. Stuff like that, but I read better off pictures. Oh, I gotcha. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. Okay, good. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as, like, I can, if I was with, per, you know, person to person with somebody, I can get vibes and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But I read better at a distance. Uh-huh. That's just how I've always done it. Like, buildings and stuff like that. I can, before we have an investigation, Todd be like, okay, well, we're going to this place. I'm like, all right. And then all of a sudden, I'm reading the building before I even go there. Oh. Wow. And he's, he's like, how are you doing that? You've never even been there. How do you, it's just how I read. I, I pick up things from way, like I've done readings from England and everywhere else. And oh gosh. it's just, I can't read things when they're close up to me. It, it's, it's hard, mm-hmm. but I mean, and I'm the, I'm the opposite. I can't read, I can't read pictures or long distance very well, mm-hmm. but the minute I get to a location or if I get near a person, if I just get near someone, I can read a lot on them. Yeah. Or, um, I, I kind of say I'm tapping into the building. Like I'll hang on to the walls. 
or I'll have to sit down in a room and just feel the energy and then I can pick up so much more. Yeah. Well, that's good. You guys can balance each other out on that aspect. That's so interesting. Yeah, we we definitely do that. We're good at doing that, actually. That's great. That's great. See, I used to be kind of like that with women. The farther they were away, the more attractive they were to me. Oh, nothing. Oh, no. I said used to be. Okay. All right. I'll let you slide, I guess. Good cover. Good cover. And you, know, and you know, we were talking, you were talking about using the sage, which I'd always heard, you know, that's what you do to cleanse a house. And I remember one time we thought we had a ghost and I didn't have any sage, but I did have some stovetop stuffing with sage in it. So I just cooked that. Oh, my God. But we still had the ghost, but I was no longer hungry. So that problem was solved. What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, that was a little bit of turkey and uh, a couple good fresh pieces of bread. That's a good sandwich. No doubt. Oh, so let's do this then. Let's talk about, for both of you, what is the most fun place that you've been able to do an investigation at as far as like, you know, man, this has really surprised me. It was, I was, wouldn't really expecting this to come out of it, but it was a big surprise. Uh, anything, any places that pop out of you that are better than others? I know you mentioned the old, how, uh, reformatory being your favorite place. Is that, would that be the place still here or is there a different place that just really took you by surprise? Um, honestly, I can have, I have to say actually a local, um, place over here where we where we're from uh it's called the norse farm and it's just a little farmhouse um it actually took me by surprise of how active it is because i really didn't think that it would be that active we've already investigated it twice and both times i have picked up on a small girl and a guy and it's weird how it played out because the first time i went there I had picked up on uh, the guy and the girl, but he wasn't that strong. Um, I was picking more up on the little girl, and I didn't know any history of it, but the the owners, they were little girls at the time when they owned the home, or when their parents owned the home. Well, with the little girl that I was picking up, I had asked her um, what her name was, and she had told me Emmy. So, uh, when we got done with the investigation, I got with the homeowner and she confirmed to me that her and her sister had gave that spirit of a little girl the name of Emmy because they used to see her when they were younger. Yeah. I mean, so to me, it was just like, wow, you know? So we went back for the second investigation and I would see her like peeking around the corners, playing hide and seek and, you know, running around and stuff like that. But the, the male was a little bit stronger to me this time. And um, he actually, I believe, committed suicide in the burn. And we were picking that up. Oh. And uh, also, you know, within the, the heaviness in the basement and stuff and yeah. just footsteps and knocks and just shadows and so it, it took me by surprise how active this place was because I really did not expect it to be like that. But it seems like every time they we go back, it's almost like they know, oh, here, they're back. Oh, <laughs> you know, let's, yeah. let's give them some action. So they, <laughs> they kind of found each other, I guess, then. Yeah. Wow. I've heard about investigations before to where, especially if you make multiple trips back, if the spirits really like you, they tend to, to, to just, you know, be a lot more open and, and visible to you. Yes, I, I, I believe that's what happens. So what about any places on your list that you haven't had a chance to investigate that if you could go anywhere in the world and investigate, what would be the tops on both of your lists? 
I would have to say one of mine is Alcatraz. Oh, gosh. That's probably one of my, like, the number one on my list. Um, and then maybe some castles over in Ireland and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that, that's pretty much my, like, go-tos. <laughs> Those are my, on my bucket list before, you know, I quit. <laughs> or whatever happens. <laughs> you know. Those are too old to do it anymore. Yeah, I can't even imagine Alcatraz. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Well, you always said you wanted to live on an island. Oh, that's true. You <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Take away that one, thank you. <laughs> what about your choices? Um, I would have to say Ireland again for sure because, um, you know, I've been talking about that with uh, a couple of other friends that investigate and they've been talking about wanting to go over and I said, you're not allowed to go without me. <laughs> um uh, something that's a little more realistic. Um, I want, really want to go to New Orleans and just um, just kind of walk the French Quarter and see what I pick up because it's just so rich in history. See, it's and, it's different for you guys than than the average person because, like you said, you can just walk around the French Quarter and pick up stuff. Where the average person, yeah. you know, we would have to go to a haunted location and hope we see something. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. I know. What about have y'all been to some of the? I know you're you're right there in Michigan. I know Michigan's a big state, so it's not like that everything's right in your backyard. But have you guys uh, ever had a chance to go up to uh, Mackinac Island yet and do like the Grand Hotel or anything up there? No, no. we haven't got to do any of that. Um, I've passed by it, but yeah. we've never gone in. We were actually talking about going up there sometime um, at the end of the year or something. It's in the works, you know, to get up there and do some up, some work up there. I would love to go up there just just to go up there. Not even for the for the that aspect. It's just the idea of having an island where there's no no cars on it except for you know emergency vehicle and you know, everything yeah. horse and carriage and all. I mean it just seems like a most awesome setting. And then you throw in the Grand Hotel that's haunted and a couple other places. It just it seems like the perfect place to spend a couple of weeks. Oh yeah, that'd yeah, be awesome. But ladies, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. How can uh, how can the listeners find you guys if they y'all got some websites or some social media that you can plug? We have our website is www.detroitparanormal.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, that's about it. We're on every social media. Yeah. So. How do, how do you ladies, as far as the group, how do y'all usually find your cases? Are these things that you just picked and do, or is there things that? people suggest to you or and do y'all do any kind of residential stuff or is it strictly uh the bigger business type aspects give me a little bit of an idea of what y'all do as a team we've done um a little bit of residential um majority of it is a lot of people wanting us to do it I and mean, we do go out and look for them ourselves so i mean it's a little bit of a mixture of all of it to be honest with you how many investigations would you say you guys would do over the course of a year? Oh, God. <laughs> I think we've done one almost every... <laughs> like every weekend. <laughs> yeah, we're really we're really busy. At least three a month. Yeah, we're good for, all, for the rest of the year, to be honest with you. Now, when y'all get pictures and EVPs and stuff, do y'all post that on the website? Yes, yeah. that is on our website. Okay, cool. So... Um, anybody who wants to see these pictures and stuff from past investigations, they can they can check out the website and see some of the cool stuff you guys have done. Yes, please do. Well, send my regards to Todd. I wish he could have been on the show, too. 
he he said you you guys relate really well to each other, and he thought that you would make a fantastic interview, and he was a hundred percent correct. So we greatly appreciate him having the uh, insight to put you two together. And I know mm-hmm. I, I've had fun with it, and I hope you guys have too. Yeah, we, we did. Thank you. We thank appreciate you it. Well, thank you guys so much, and uh, we will talk to you all probably soon. I'm sure we'll have some other stuff in Michigan, and we can bring you guys back on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, see, those those young ladies are fun. I'll be glad to – maybe we can get them back on the show again at some other time, maybe get Todd on the show to uh, talk about some of the actual investigations they've done uh, besides just the ones we've already talked about. Yeah, I think – I kind of wish I was like a psychic, but I don't know if it's a blessing or not. Well, I'm you're sure. psychotic. Well, that- I'm – Halfway there? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm thinking halfway there. I went to the other direction. That's all right. That's okay. (laughs) I love you anyway. I love you, baby. Um, So I guess we've put it off long enough. Oh, God. It's time. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? And I just hope you come back. <laughs> I hope you come back. I do want to point out before we end on this horrible high note and um, <laughs> other notes <laughs> that next week's show, we we got a little taste of the D- Detroit Demon uh, this week. Next week's show is the a story that all of you probably know about. It's the Demon House of Gary, Indiana. That's the one that Zach Baggins actually bought and then had torn down. Um I'm excited about doing that when a lot of people have asked about it. And the only reason I held off on it is because I heard some other shows doing doing shows on that particular uh, subject. And I just didn't want to put ours right there at that same time. So all of them were coming out at the same time. So I wanted to give a little bit of distance between some of the other shows. I know uh, Mysterious Radio, uh, our buddies over there, they actually did uh, had an interview with a guy who wrote a book on mm-hmm. it. It's very good. Yeah, very good. So our, ours would be different than theirs, but it's just been done by so many people that I just wanted to give a little distance. And but we're we're going to do it right, and I'm excited about it. It's hard to it's going to be hard to try to find some music for that one. I'll probably have to do some Michael Jackson since he's from oh, yeah. Gary, Indiana. What else are you going to do? Yeah. So beat and he's it. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we'll do beat it. But. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Um. Okay, everybody brace yourself. It's time. And we're going to end on this. You so. probably need a puke bucket beside you. But we're okay. Tracy's rendition. And we we went all out this time. We actually have music behind this one. But Tracy raps Eminem. And here we go. And please, no matter what your comments are, email us. Send them on Twitter. Send it on our Facebook page. Hilly Horror Stories on Facebook. We got an Instagram page. I definitely want to know how you feel about this episode of Tracy Raps. So here we go. Kobe Trice, real name, no gimmicks. Two trailer park girls go round the outside, round the outside, round the outside. Two trailer park girls go round the outside, round the outside, round the outside. Guess who's back? Back again. Shade is back. Tell a friend. Guess who's back? 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 Guess who's back
I've created a monster, cause nobody wants to see Marshall no more, they want shady, I'm chopped liver. If you want shady, this is what I'll give you. A little bit of weed mixed with some hard liquor. Some vodka that'll stop my heart quicker than shock when I get shocked at the hospital. By the doctor when I'm not cooperating, when I'm rocking the table when he's operating. Hey, you waited this long, now stop debating, cause I'm back down on the rag and ovulating. I know that you got a job, Miss Cheney, but your husband's heart problem's complicated. So the FCC won't let me be or let me be me. So let me see You try to shut me down on MTV But it feels so empty without me Hey! They would like to thank you folks For kindly dropping in You're all invited back next week To this locality To have a heaping helping Of their hospitality Hillbilly that is Y'all come back now Here?